Good morning, Christ Covenant. It's great to be here. Uh, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here. I've, I've been away for a few weeks uh, and, and I just want to thank you along with my family for uh, just a great uh, time of rest. Uh, we have kind of put something in place for our pastors here that, that every five years, uh, a pastor can earn a month sabbatical just to take some time away to rest uh, and to get refocused on the Lord. And so amazingly, it was five years ago that uh, the Dees family moved here to Atlanta to, to start uh, forming what would become, to start leading what would become Christ's covenant. And of course, our church is almost four years old. We officially kind of opened as a church in 2017, um, but it was a wonderful uh, time for our family, uh, a very rejuvenating time uh, for our family. And I just, I just want to thank you for it. We're, we're, but we're back and we're, we're ready to go. I was actually watching SEC Media Days and I heard Nick Saban, I, I know I, I hate him, but I respect him. Um, but I heard Nick Saban say, uh, you know, it's important. He said, kind of the older I get, I've learned it. It's important for me to be able to turn it off so that when it's time to turn it on, I can really turn it on. And I think that's probably pretty wise and it's time to turn it on. And so I'm ready to go. So if you have your Bibles, open with me to Psalm 44. Uh, I'm excited about the sermon series that we begin today. We're actually going to spend two weeks kind of thinking about, talking about family discipleship and, and what that looks like uh, for our church at large. Um, and so Psalm 44, verse 1 through 3. Uh, follow along as I read the word of the Lord aloud. <sighs> oh God, we have heard with our ears. Our fathers have told us what deeds you performed in their days, in the days of old. You with your own hand drove out the nations, but them, our fathers, you planted. You afflicted the people, but them, our people, you set free. For not by their own sword did they win the land, nor did their own arm save them. But your right hand and your arm and the light of your face, for you delighted in them. This is the word of the Lord. While we were uh, on our trip, away, one of the things that we did that we enjoyed doing, we, we, we drove a good bit, traveling from place to place. And one of the things that Paige and I did was we listened to an audio book and, and we enjoy doing that. And on recommendation from a buddy, we, we listened to the book Open by Andre Agassi. It's an it's a autobiography of Andre Agassi. If you grew up in the 90s like I did, no one was cooler than Andre Agassi. Uh, he was a tennis player and he was a great tennis player, but the, the autobiography is fascinating. Uh, it's incredibly open. It's incredibly vulnerable. Uh, but one of the things that's a, kind of a main point of the book is it, about his relationship with his father. And one of the things that Paige and I just have been talking about in reflection of this is just how much impact your parents have on you, how foundational they really are. And, and what's interesting about that is you understand that differently as you get older. Uh, you know, so I understand like the impact my parents had on me differently now as a 39 year old than I did when I was a 19 year old, right? You, you just kind of develop how much 
you have been shaped and developed, how, why you value certain things or why you've kind of avoided certain things. And so I really want to take a couple of weeks talking to you who are parents, the, the people here that God has entrusted with children to raise. Now, if you're not a parent, you're like, well, you know, what about me? And, and here's what I'll say. You know, first of all, if you're, if you're single, maybe you hope to be a parent someday. So this is incredibly important for you. Um, if you're looking for a wife or a husband, I'd kind of look around. You want to marry someone that's thought about being a parent if you want children. Um, and even if you're like, you know what, kids, this isn't a card for me. I feel called to singleness or whatever it is. As a part of this church, one of the things that we actually commit to every time we have child dedication is that we corporately would actively help to raise up the children that God has given, not just the individual families in our body, but us as a church family, us as a corporate family. I think this is incredibly important for us to think about. And uh, it's something that I'm really excited to walk through with you. This Psalm, as we look at it, kind of helps us to think about four things in particular, though. First, God's plan for his people. Second, <laughs> the problem with God's people. Third, God's restoration of his people. And then fourthly, a right response to the Lord. So first, God's plan for his people. God's plans for his people, for his corporate people, the people that he's called himself, are often long. They're generational. They take a long time. Think about God's call to Abraham. I will make you a great nation. I will make your offspring as numerous as the stars in the sky. But how many children did Abraham have? He had one offspring that would become the people of God. It was a generational promise. Actually, if you understand how God's salvation story goes, it's, it's a promise that is actually being worked out right here, right now. It's, it's still going on. It was, it was a long thing that God was setting into motion with Abraham. With David, God said, I'm going to establish an eternal throne, a kingdom in your name that will go on forever. And again, it's one of those things that, that took a long time to be fulfilled. It wasn't fulfilled ultimately for a thousand years until Christ came along in a totally different kind of kingdom. It's still being fulfilled. It still hasn't been ultimately fulfilled until the day of the Lord when all things are made right and new by our God. It's a long vision. When God gave Moses the law, one of the commands that, that is like this, it, it says in verse 12 of Exodus 20, honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving to you. Now, a lot of times we read that verse. A lot of times Christians read that verse in kind of an individual way. Listen to your parents, obey your parents, honor your father and mother, and you'll have a long life. You won't, you won't die, right? Which is actually probably true, right? I, I think that my parents probably warned me of some things that maybe I would have killed me, right? So the, the, that reading of the text may be true, but it's not actually what the text is saying. This is not an individual command. It's a corporate command to the whole people. People of Israel, people of God, live in such a way where you honor your father and mother, where you listen to what they say, where you hear the stories of the faithfulness and the power of God, where you listen to the commands of God that are being taught to you by your parents. 
Hold those central in your life. Live with those as the anchor of your life. And the blessing of God will stay upon you, Israel, from generation to generation. And this land that the Lord your God is giving you will be yours for a long time, from generation to generation. That's how the command is to be heard. It's this, right? It's, it's our passage today. Oh God, we've heard with our ears. Our fathers have told us what deeds you performed in your days. What are these deeds? They're the deeds of how God rescued them and established them and brought them out of Egypt. Look at what he says. He says, in the days of old, with your own hand, you drove out the nations. This is God driving out the nations and establishing Israel in the promised land. You with your own hand drove out the nations, but them you planted. You afflicted the peoples. This is the, uh, the plagues that happened in Egyptians, to the Egyptians. You afflicted them, but the people of Israel you set free. For not by, hear this, for not by their own sword did they win the land. Our fathers didn't win the land with their own sword, nor did they, their own arms save them. But listen, but your right hand, and your arm, O oh God, and the light of your face, for you delighted in them. So if this is what you're being taught. Think about this. This is what the fathers are supposed to be teaching. It wasn't us, kids. <laughs> we didn't do anything. God in his mercy, God in his grace delighted in us. God in his mercy, God in his grace turned his face toward us. And it was his strong arm and it was his hand that has given us everything we have. And it's his word that guides us. And it's his strength that protects us. And it's his will that carries us along. And if this is what you're being taught, if this is what frames you, if this is what's foundational for you, that'll totally change your life. This is God's plan for his people. That, that our anchor, our fundamental assumption would be his strength and his glory and his care and his word. This was God's plan. This was the culture that the people of God were supposed to build. This was the fundamental assumption that the people of God were supposed to have. And look, every culture is like this. On our, on our time away, we went to Europe. And look, Europeans have different fundamental assumptions than Americans. They, they just make different decisions than Americans make. Uh, Europeans are more cooperative people, more traditional people. Americans are more rebellious people. We're more freedom, liberty kind of people. We want to kind of have do our own thing individually. Of course, that's not true of everybody, but it's true generally of America. These things are true generally of Europe. There's some fundamental assumptions that are a part of cultures that just kind of get passed down from generation to generation. And we tell stories that reaffirm these assumptions, that reaffirm these ways of life. Like in America, the story that we like to tell is the rags to riches story, right? Uh, you, you probably have some version of this story that you tell about your life. You know, I didn't start off with much but I worked hard. I did what I was supposed to do, kept my nose clean. And you know what? Things have gone, things have worked out. That's what we do. Cause that's kind of the American story, right? We were just a bunch of little colonists. And next thing you know, we're the most powerful country in the world, right? We, we love this story. We, we love these, these narratives, if you will, that reaffirm our assumptions. That's how culture is always created. But God's vision for his people was that they would be a people 
where the stories that they told, where the assumptions that they made weren't about how grand they were, weren't about how strong they were and what they had achieved. They were about how great he was. They were about how he had cared for them and how he had protected them. It wasn't, it wasn't our father's sword that won the land. It wasn't our father's will that, that freed us from Egypt. No, it was God that did this. Why? Because we were so righteous? No, because God delighted in us, because God's face was toward us, because we were God's people. This is why in the second giving of the law, Deuteronomy, the, the, book, the Old Testament book, Deuteronomy, it, it literally means second law, Deuteronomos. In Deuteronomy, Moses, when he's giving the second law, when he's giving the law again, he's repeating the law. It's this kind of a big sermon that he preaches at the end of his life. Here's what he said famously in Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Thus, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words I command to you today shall be on your heart. My word, this is your story. This is your guiding principle. This is, this is the culture. This is who you are. And then what is the very next idea that he has? What's going to frame you? What's going to frame your fundamental assumption? And he says, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind my words, my stories, my statutes as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Anchor yourselves in me. Tell stories about me. Remember my law. Remember my word, that my word might be the anchor of your life. And if God's people were to do this, if they were to center their lives on him, then they would be blessed by him. They would live long in the land. They would prosper under God's care. That was God's plan for his people. And I want you to hear this. It's still God's plan for his people. What is the story you are telling. What is the fundamental assumption of your household, of your life? Can you say with the psalmist, it wasn't my sword, it wasn't my arm, it was God's arm. It was God that provided. It was God that protected. It was God that led me out. It was God that brought me here. It was God that sustained us. Parents, is this what's happening in your home? Is this the kind of language that you're using? Is this how you guys talk? Is this, is this the culture that you're building? Is this the story that you're telling? Or is it the American rags to riches story? Or is it, I'm a regional manager and look how my work has taken care of us. Or is it, we're of these people and therefore this. God's plan for his people then and now is that we would anchor our lives, our stories, our assumptions on him. But there's a problem, which leads us to point two. We haven't done this. <laughs> we could walk through the Old Testament and I can give you example after example after example of how God said, hey, look, anchor yourselves on my word. Teach my word to your children and how the people forgot to do it. They became distracted. 
They, they, they wanted to be like everybody else around them. And eventually they forgot about God's word. They wanted a different story. They ultimately wanted a different God. They didn't want to have to remember his power. They wanted a little credit for themselves, right? So they forgot about his word. There's, there's this famous story in 2 Kings 22 where Josiah is the king and he's rebuilding part of the temple. <laughs> this is an amazing story. He's rebuilding part of the temple, the place where the Ark of the Covenant was, the place where the presence of God was literally dwelling among the people. And as they're doing this, one of the priests finds the Bible. This is from 2 Kings 22. It says, Hilkiah, the high priest, said to Shaphan, the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan and he read it. This is an amazing story. They're in the temple and they have totally forgotten the words of God that were supposed to be in their heart, that they were supposed to pass off from generation to generation. Remember Deuteronomy 6? Door frames, frontlets, wrists, everywhere the word of God. Here, they're in the temple and they've, they've lost it. And so Josiah says, well, maybe we should read it. It says, when the king heard, verse 11, the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes and he commanded Hilkiah, the high priest, and Ahikim, the son of Saphon, and uh, Akbor, the son of Micaiah, and Shaphim, the secretary, and Isaiah, the king's servant, saying, go inquire, go plead with the Lord for me and for all the people and for all Judah concerning the words of this book that have been found, for great is the wrath of the Lord kindled against us. And then listen to this. Gosh, because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. Where was the break in the link <laughs> God showed up in this huge way. He freed the people from Egypt. He brought the people into a land. He gave them all of this blessing. He established himself among them. He established his presence in the temple. And here they are, and they don't even know where the word of God is, and they find it. They have no idea what it says. Where's the breakdown? You know where the breakdown is? Our fathers. Our fathers didn't do this. Our fathers didn't pass off this word from one generation to the next. And now the wrath of God is upon us. The fathers became interested in other things. So today for us, I want to, before we move on in the sermon, I just want to kind of make this really practical for you. And, and give you some warnings of how this, how the word of God, this fundamental assumption, how it can be lost in your family and in your life. So three things I want to warn you of. And, and the first one is idolatry. Tim Keller has famously said, an idol is anything other than God that's become an ultimate thing. An idol can be a good thing that's become an ultimate thing. It's, it's anything other than God that's become ultimate in your life. 
Where did Israel lose their way? They became consumed with other things that weren't God. They, they became consumed with wealth or reputation or, or their safety. I mean, not necessarily bad things. They, they, they wanted to get along with the other countries. But very subtly, but very surely, idols begin to creep in. They begin to take over. They began to consume the people. We live in a world where idols are all around us all the time, where idols can very easily creep in. And I just want to say this. You may say in your house, Jesus is all. Jesus is the most important thing. But if your children know that being at corporate worship, being among the people of God, serving the Lord, if, if your children know that that is actually not a priority in your life, if your children never see you praying together as a family, if they never see you consuming God's word, you can say Jesus is all, all you want, and they'll never believe you. Here's what it'll be. You know what they'll say? They'll be, that's just something that dad said or that mom said. Probably because his dad said it or her, her mom said it. That's just something dad says. It's just some worthless religious thing that they have that makes them feel good sometimes. Has an idol crept in to your home? Are you the kind of people where at your house it is, it wasn't our arm. It wasn't us that did this. God has provided God is protected. It's, it's his delight. It's, it's his face being honest that we seek after, that we desire. That's our only hope. Is that the foundational assumption of your life or has another idol taken God's place? In the book of Judges, it's an amazing story, the whole book, about how idols kind of keep creeping into Israel. And you know what happens? They always get in trouble and they always cry out to God and they say, God, save us. Gideon is one of the mo most famous judges and there's a famous story about Gideon, but Gideon literally grew up in a house full of idols. Why? Because his father let it creep in. And, and they're crying out to God and saying, God, save us. And you know what God always said? He said, look, Here's what you got to do. I'll save you when you tear down the idols and in its place, build an altar to the Lord. I just want to ask you today, fathers, mothers, single people, has an idol crept into your house? Is there an idol that you need to tear down and in its place, you need to build an altar to the Lord? And of course, I'm talking figuratively here. Is, is there something where you need to say, look, this, we're, this is done. We're, we're, no more of this. And in its place, we're going to do something that's going to center our lives on the Lord. You know, for a lot of you, it's probably just putting some boundaries in place. Parents, this is very applicable. Again, I love activities. I love sports. I love extracurricular activities. But, but parents, do you need to say, look, one activity at a time. <laughs> and we're going to make sure that our involvement at church, family worship, serving together as a family takes priority. Men, women, do you need to say, look, I love my job, but I don't go in before eight o'clock or I don't, you know, I don't stay after X o'clock because I'm going to be with my family. I want to make sure there's some time every week. We're opening God's word together. We're praying together. 
What, what idol is creeping that you need to tear down and in its place build an altar to the Lord? You know, maybe, it's, maybe it's, look, quit buying stuff. Quit getting the bigger house. Quit getting the nicer car. Don't feel like you have to do that all the time. Don't get swept away into the idol of Atlanta. Stop. Be generous. Tear the idol down. Put an altar to the Lord in its place. The first thing that will get you off center is idolatry. Secondly, and I think this is very important, it's a professional understanding of the world. We live in an age where it's very easy to kind of hire everything out, right? And that's okay. Like, you know, we take our car to the express oil change, you get our oil change. We, we take our clothes to the cleaners and get our laundry done. We, we hire these things done. And, and I just want you to hear this. In this kind of culture, it can be very easy for you as a parent to say, I have my kids in church. I have my kids in a Christian school. I'm done. <laughs> Discipleship, check. Hired that done. I got the best person to do it to. Let me just say, there is this assumption in Christianity. And, and you know what? Churches have given you this assumption. So on behalf of churches, I apologize. But there is this assumption where churches will kind of say, look, we're the professionals. You just come and give, bring your friends. We'll make sure they hear the gospel. We'll make sure their kids are discipled. We'll make sure that everything's taken care of. And I want you to hear this. Nowhere is this what the word of God says about the people of God. Yes, God has created a church where there are pastors and shepherds and leaders. And our job is to equip you, the saints, the people of God for the work of the ministry. You are the witnesses. You are the ministers. And this is particularly true for you as parents. Look, we want to come alongside you. Right now, amazing discipleship is happening. We're going to talk later about tools because we want to help you as a parent to disciple your children. Some of you have your children in private Christian schools, which we think is amazing. I say get as many partners and helpers as you possibly can. But discipling your children is not something that you can hire out. It is a responsibility that God has ultimately given to you as a parent. Don't forsake this. Don't, don't let a professional mindset actually pull you away from centering your home on the glory of God. The third thing that I believe can pull us away from centering our lives on, on, on God and on His glory, on His delight, is a lack of mission. Is there your family will be on mission for something. Your family will be about something. Every family is. It's like, oh yeah, the, the Smiths, they're all about this. Or the Taylors, they're all about that. Or the Browns, they're all about this. Your family will be on mission for something could be travel, it could be sports, it could be, it could be a number, it could be achievement. A number, you know, that's the family that does all the stuff. And again, look, I love achievement, I love sports, I love, I love all of these things. But is your family at all on mission for the Lord? Do you see your family as the people of God called to something? 
This is something we talk about in our house all the time. We try to. We, we try to tell our kids, look, we're called to the city. We're, we're called to this neighborhood. We've been called to this church, to these people. We've been called to this school. You know, again, I, I love homeschool, private Christian school. I think they're great. But one of the reasons that we at our family feel particularly called to public schools is I want my children to feel the weight of the Great Commission. I want my children to know that there are people all around them that do not know the Lord. I want them to feel that weight. I want them to remember that Jesus has called them to make disciples. I want to remember that for myself. Has your family have any mission? Do you pray for your neighbors as a family? Do you pray for missions partners? What a simple thing to do. You know, something I love to use all the time, these little cards that Jeremy Brooks gave us at the missions conference. Such a simple way to remember to pray for our missions partners. Have you gone on a mission trip with your family? Or do you serve with your family? One of the things that I so believe will get you off center, will make you to believe it's not the Lord that's, it's not the right arm of the God that saved us. It's not the, the Lord that's established us, it's me that it's established us. One of the things that'll make you believe that is if you have no mission for the Lord in your life. Idolatry, a professional understanding of the world and a lack of mission. Now I'll say, this is one of these sermons where it's like, okay, Jason, maybe you should go back on sabbatical for a little while. But I have good news. God is so restorative. So the third thing I want to look at is, is God's restoration of his people. You know, this is a sermon where, look, I'm just going to say, I'm not going to say many of us have failed. I'm going to go and say this, we've all failed. Okay, if you're sitting there and you're thinking, I'm not an idolater, okay, you're an idolater. If you're sitting there thinking like, I've always been on mission for God, no, you have not. <laughs> this is one where we've all failed, but the, the great news of the gospel this gospel that we get to celebrate every week is that we are not justified before a holy God by our ability to keep idols out. And we're not justified before a holy God by our ability to go on a bunch of mission trips. And we're not justified before a holy God on our ability to perfectly disciple our children all the time. No, actually our only hope is that God by his will would, would delight in us and would turn his face toward us. For not by our sword did we win the land, nor by our arm did, did, did our father save themselves, but no, by the right hand and by the arm of God, the light of God's face, for God delighted in them. And this is similar to another passage that I'm sure you've heard many times. Number six, there's this famous blessing there, benediction. Actually, there's a famous song right now. You may have heard this at a wedding. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. There it is again, the face of the Lord, the countenance of the Lord, the delight of the Lord. Every time you hear a passage like that, Every time you hear passages like Psalm 44 or number six, I'm going to go and tell you the, the question that should come to your mind is how? Why? Why would God's face and delight be towards someone like me? 
You know, you know, you know what Psalm 34 says? Psalm 34 says, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous <laughs> and he'll hear their cry. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut the memory of them from the earth. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. Who of us is righteous? Who of us has enough righteousness to face God, to face a holy God? You, you should hear number six. You should hear Psalm 44 and say, that's not me. The face of the Lord is against. It turns away from the evil one. So why, how could this ever be true of us? And the answer is, the only one who ever was righteous, the only one who was not an idolater, the only one who was always on mission, the only one who, who always delighted in the Lord has taken on our evil, our sin. This is the message of the gospel that Jesus actually always lived in the face of God. Jesus always lived in the delight of his father. He always obeyed all through the Old Testament. Obedience, delight, wickedness, curse. And yet on the cross, Jesus became cursed. On the cross, the face of the Lord that was supposed to be on Jesus because he always was righteous turned away from him because in that moment he became our unrighteousness. And on the cross, in your place, with you in mind, our Lord Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you turned your face from me? But you see, God turned his face from the Son and settled the guilt of your sin, so that his face could be tor turned toward you. And, and, and the way to receive this is to look to Jesus in faith. It's just simple faith. It's just to believe in him. You know what? The almighty, all holy, all good, all wise God of the universe desires to delight and commune with you and with me. And we can commune with him and we can know him through faith, through simple faith in Jesus Christ, his son. As many times as I've heard that. I've heard that my whole life. As long as I believed that, that statement sends awe through my body. Sends chills through my body. God desires to commune with you. And because of this grace, his face is toward you. This is how God restores his people. So if you feel convicted today, <laughs> you haven't been a good parent, join the club and look toward Jesus and look toward Jesus and look toward the cross and look toward the open door of the cross that the worst parent in here can hear, not by your arm, not by your sword, not by your good parenting, but because the light of God is upon you, because the delight of God is upon you and you can come close to the Lord. And so finally, I wanna talk about a right response. 
Now, there are many right responses to the gospel. But today in particular, as we're kind of thinking about parenting, I want to give you three, and, and these are three things that for parents, grandparents, future parents, really this whole sermon series is an invitation into these three things. We're, we're inviting you toward these three things, that these three things would be true in your home. And, 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 and what they are, that first of all, is, is that you in your home would practice rhythms of grace, that you in your home would capture moments of wonder, and that you in your home would celebrate milestones of maturity, that you would practice rhythms of grace, that you would capture moments of wonder, and that you would celebrate milestones of maturity. So first, practice rhythms of grace. No spiritual discipline will save you, right? But we like to use this word rhythms of grace. It is in these rhythms of grace that God reveals himself to be beautiful, to be true, to be right. He draws us to himself. And one of the rhythms of grace that we really ask for every family to take part of would be a time of regular family worship, regular family discipleship. This is a time where you gather as a family to pray together, to read God's word together, to talk about the things of the Lord together, maybe to sing together, to have a time of worship together as a family. And that this would be a regular rhythm. One of the things we ask that you would do this at least twice a week, maybe more, maybe every day, but at least twice a week, you as a family would gather together to read the Bible, talk about the things of the Lord, pray together as a family, create this rhythm in your life. We call it family worship. And you may be thinking, how do you do this? How do I even get started with this? Well, first of all, there's a number of people here that can help you with this. But secondly, on our webpage, we have, if you go to the resource tab, we have all of these, we call them field guides. They're how to get started in giving, how to get started in worship, how to get started in community. And one of them is how to get started in family worship. And it's just a very, very practical, I encourage you to read through it, how to get started with this, how to create a place for it, how to create a time for it, how to create a rhythm for it, how to get the right resources for it. Now, this could be just simply opening your Bible and reading it. But there are a lot of other great resources. And, and, and I just want to invite you now, if you are like, man, I'd love to get some of your recommendations on, I got two kids, they're four and two years old. Is there any resource that you have? Or you may say, I've got high schoolers. Is there any resource? We'd love to help you out. A lot of those are particular. You may just say, I'm just, I'm just married. We don't have any children. Is there any resource that's good for us, for me and my wife, or for me and my husband? I'd love to help you with that. Use the text to pastor line, email me, call me, text me. We would love to help you. So that's the first kind of resource that we want to give you in terms of creating this practice of these rhythms of grace. The second, and we're going to be passing these out next week, and I am so excited about it, is the Christ Covenant Catechism. Uh, there's a lot of catechisms out there. If you're not familiar with this, catechisms are a tool that's a question and answer format where you can teach Christian doctrine through question and answer format. Now, there's a lot of good catechisms out there. And if you're using the New City Catechism or the Baptist Catechism, the Heidelberg Catechism, you know, and that's a part of your family rhythm, then that's great. One of the reasons we decided to create our own, and this is a lot of work, is all of those catechisms are very, very complex. 
a lot of the answers are multiple sentences long and, and, and sometimes kind of hard to understand. I think they're very good if you're willing to take the time to teach through them. But look, the Dees family, we're simple folks, okay? And so all of the answers in the Christ Covenant Catechism are just one sentence answers. They're very easy to know. They're very easy to memorize. What we do is we walk you through 36 points of Christian doctrine. It's designed for you to use over the course of a whole year. And we're actually gonna produce three of these over the next three years. Let's flip through it just real quick. So, and this is something I really like about this. They all come with hand motions, okay? So for example, here's the first question. You're trying to teach your child about the Lord. First question, okay, again, I'm, I'm a simple guy. Who is God, okay? Great place to start. God is the first and best of beings, the creator of all things. You like that? And so we have 36, we have 36 questions and um, it's gonna be a great tool designed for your family to go over a year, but we're inviting you as parents to practice rhythms of grace, for all of us to practice rhythms of grace. Second, capture moments of wonder. If you're waiting to be a parent, if you are a parent, you know this, the Lord will give you moments of, I call them wonderful moments, but they're moments of wonder. They're, they're moments where your child asks a question. They're moments where your child for the first time observes something. They're, they're moments where you're, you're, you just tell your child's heart is open to learn. Here's, here's really what I'm asking you here. Parent at a pace where when these come, you won't miss them. Parent at a pace for when these come, you won't miss them. You know when they come a lot at the D's house is I've just tucked the kids in bed. And again, for those of you who aren't parents, you know, you don't realize this, but like when you tuck your kids in bed, you're like, okay, get me out of here as fast as possible. Uh, I've, I've often joked with Paige, I wish there was a service that would tuck your kids in bed for you some nights, you know? Like you just don't want to do it. You're like, we got to get the kids ready for bed. Can I just call, you know, 1-800-TUCK-YOUR-KIDS-IN and um, people come out and you know, bathe your kids, brush their teeth and get them in bed and you can just hang out. Anyway, but if that's the moment after I pray with them, tuck them in, that they're always like, hey dad, tell me about this. Hey dad, is God like this? Hey dad, parent at a pace where you don't miss those. It creates some space for those. You know what my dad used to do with me? And this is, I love it. He would take me on drives and I didn't realize it at the time. I just thought like, I didn't know what we were doing. But a drive is a great thing to take a kid on because you're, you're, they're stuck. You got them, you know? <laughs> he would take me on these long drives. We'd drive all over town. I didn't, we didn't go anywhere. He'd like buy me a Coke at, you know, a gas station and we'd just drive around. And he would disciple me. Capture these moments of wonder. They're, they're short, they're fast, they go quick. And then last, um, Last, uh, but certainly not least, celebrate milestones of maturity. Another thing that I'm really excited about, and if you're a parent, you got to go to the brunch next week. We have produced um, this guide. Again, discipling your children, your primary responsibility, but we want to help you. Let's go to the next slide there. And it's basically what we call a scope and sequence for our children's ministry. We, we have a zero to 18 plan. Uh, and this is actually, we've been working on this a long time. I'm excited to introduce it today. But it's, it's what we want to help you do is give you resources. We want to help you understand what we're teaching your kids at what particular ages throughout the whole kind of zero to 18 journey. 
And what we want to do along the way is help celebrate significant milestones. So for example, the milestone of when they pray to receive Christ and decide and want to get baptized. It's a huge moment in the life of a child. And we want to celebrate that. The, a moment in your child's life where they kind of enter into adolescence, a moment in your child's life where maybe they serve the Lord in a practical way for the first time, or when they learn how to share their faith uh, with another person. And so we want to celebrate milestones, these, these kind of key moments of your child's uh, walk with the Lord. We want to come alongside you and help you as a parent to celebrate these things. Again, we're going to talk more about this next week. Uh, and again, that parent brunch is so important. But let me just close with this. You know, you know how long your life is and my life is? You know, Paige and I, we, we went to Europe on this little trip and everything there is old. I just think of the people that built all the stuff over there, like some of them 1,200 years ago. And man, it's been a long time since 1,200 years ago. <laughs> And a lot of generations have come and gone. That's, our life is, is this. And God in his kindness and sovereignty has entrusted his gospel to us and given us the responsibility to entrust this gospel to the next generation. Let's do that well. Let's do that well as parents. Let's do that well as a church. Let's, let's do that in such a way then in 20 or 30 or 40 years, our children can be the kind of people that say, oh God, we have heard with our ears. Our fathers have told us what deeds you performed in their days, in the days of old. You with your own hand drove out the nations, but them you planted. You afflicted the peoples, but them you set free for not by their sword did they win the land nor did their own arm save them, but your right arm and your hand and by the light of your face, for you delighted in them. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that through your faithfulness, the gospel has come to us. Maybe not by our fathers or mothers, but by spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers they were faithful to entrust to us the, this life-giving word that the God of the universe, the immortal and invisible and only wise God would, could be known and we could commune with him and we could love him. We could love you, Lord, through Jesus. Or maybe you're the kind of people that are faithful to do this to the next generation. Help us in this, Lord. And I pray, Father, where, when we sin and when we fall and when we create idols and when we run after other things, Lord, that we would look back to Jesus who, who authors our faith and who perfects our faith, Lord. Help us to look to him, our only hope, our restorer, the lifter of our heads. I pray this in his name and for his sake. Amen.